Hello and welcome to AQA Agile Questions Answered Episode 9 and today's question is from a Steve Green of Scarborough. Thanks Steve. And the question is what questions should I ask a prospective new client in order to figure out whether I'll be a good fit for the uh, the role or not? Well, I'm glad you asked me that. That's uh, something that has been uh, in my mind. It's been rolling around for uh, a few weeks now. And in answering this question, I'm going to assume that uh, you, the listener, are like me, that you care about your practice. And I'm going to try and tailor it for people who are quite new to Agile and also for people who are more experienced because I think that the type of answers that you're looking for actually vary a little bit uh, depending on the level of experience that you have of uh, Agile. So the first question that I would ask of a client is what Agile processes do they have in place right now? There's a couple of reasons why you might be interested in this. If you are fairly new to Agile, then uh, you're probably going to want some support uh, and having a framework of Agile processes that are already in place that you can follow and adapt uh, is always useful. If you are more experienced, on the other hand, this is potentially a warning sign and that's when you want to ask some follow-ups. I've been to a lot of organisations where uh, I think they call it the Agile Cargo Cult. They're kind of doing Agile and maybe three or four years ago, you know, they were getting really good results, but it's now become really rote. It's just like turning a handle. And if you're like me, you're really not interested in that kind of uh, Agile. And I think that the other thing that's key, which misses the spirit of Agile about those kind of organisations, is that they really miss out on the continuous improvement aspect of it. Because what happens is that, uh, say they're doing Scrum, you know, at the end of every sprint, they get pretty much the same results. Uh, which may be good, they may be bad, but they don't change anything about the way that they do uh, things because everything is kind of set out and it's been agreed by the whole organisation and that's what the culture is. I think that if you're the sort of person who has got more experience and you're really looking to kind of push in new areas, maybe that kind of organisation where it's kind of pretty much stable, you're not really going to be able to push the team into a kind of new level of behaviour and a new level of performance. It's not really the right place for you. The second question that you need to ask, which will really uh, tell you whether this is the case of an organisation, is to ask how consistent the agile processes are across teams. Because consistency in uh, Agile, in organisations, and especially in the type of thing that I do, which is software development, is vastly overrated. What you really need to do is look at the situation that you're in and the team that you're working with and build a set of processes that work for that team. And of course, the best way to do that is to ask the team and help the team develop its own processes. 
if there are the same process which is which are imposed across all of the different teams then you're very likely to get very mediocre performance because let's face it say you've got a team that's doing database work and you're doing apis and you're not got any uh, user interface no user interaction and then you've got a front-end team i know it's not ideal it's not agile but you know this is the real world uh, this is how or organizations sometimes divide up a project divide up an architecture then the processes that are going to work for the team that's got user interaction are not going to be the processes that work for the team that's doing kind of back-end database stuff you know I, that's a bit of a red flag for me you know if they're saying that our processes are the same across all teams they've been going for a while then i i'd probably be looking elsewhere right now second question i'd ask is what metrics uh, they report on everyone wants metrics and i think that it's good to have metrics you know um, because if nothing else as say a program manager which is a role that i've done in the past you want to be able to see when a team is struggling because you want to be able to help them so I'd say that there's some things that you would say are, I would say are good measures. Um, so I'd say achievements versus commitment is one. So if a team is typically, you know, consistently doing 50% or less of what they're committed to do within the sprint, within a two week period, then I think that you've got a problem with that team. Um, and you know, I think that you also have a problem, although it's a different type of problem, uh, if you teams are always over uh, achieving against commitment, because that suggests to me that there might be a culture within the organization where no team can be seen to be struggling. So what they're doing is they're deliberately setting themselves targets that they know they can meet. And the other thing when you see teams that are always hitting their targets, I always look very closely at their definition of done because what you very often find is that their definition of done is not a potentially shippable increment of product. But they might say, well, if we've done all our development in one sprint and then we test it the next sprint, that's a, you know, a real warning sign. Of course, if that's just one team, that's a uh, behavior that you can help or change but if it's true across the whole organization you know that everyone is you know achieving more than they've committed to every sprint I, to me that's pointing towards a cultural issue another good measure that i would look at uh, favorably is squad team health so this is something that uh, spotify do or certainly used to do and it's something that I do uh, with teams every now and then so it's like how is the team feeling various aspects how does the team feel that they work together how do they feel about the things that they're achieving how do they feel about the support from the rest of the organization and that can be very re revealing um, you know if they look at those kind of measures and take them seriously Another measure that could be useful is value delivered. I must say I've never seen this done. Uh, I've never seen this measured in a consistent way, but 
theoretically teams are supposed to be delivering increments of value but to be honest there are so many reasons why that might not be the case that it's probably not a useful measure so you know if you've got a product owner which is who's not prioritizing the right stuff the team could be delivering fantastically but they're not delivering a lot of value and that's not really a team issue it's more to do with the way that the product is being developed um, bad measures well the key one and i've seen this in far too many organizations is the number of story points delivered per sprint there are so many reasons why this is a bad measure i touched on it earlier teams are different and looking and, and story points are different um one team could be successfully completing 300 story points. Another team could be successfully completing 50 story points. It doesn't matter. The whole point of story points was to get away from people estimating in days of effort. So story points were designed not to be comparable across teams. And so the measuring the number of story points delivered for a team is really an indication that somebody who is fairly high up in the organization doesn't understand agile and doesn't understand what story points are and you know i i would be looking very hard at uh, that kind of organization um, before i uh, you know went in there next question i would ask is how do you compare the performance of teams um, you know, we've touched on this earlier. I'd hope that the um, most people would say we don't, but I think valid ways of doing it is to say, well, um, and certainly I do this um, in various roles, is to say, well, how happy are the customers of that team? You know, if a team is delivering consistently and speedily and exceeding the expectations of their customers and they could be internal customers it could be the product owner they could be external customers you know end customers then that's a good team you know and if that's not valuable for you as an organization then you've told the team to do the wrong thing if the customers are unhappy with the performance of the, the team so they're not delivering um, quickly the stuff that they're delivering has got problems well that might be um, something that is a problem within the team itself more often it's uh, to do with the way that the organization has set up the team to work and that's something that can be helped Sometimes teams just lose focus, they lose sight of what their goals are, and then somebody coming in as an agile coach or a delivery manager who can refocus the team around that is a really good move. But if you are using measures like story points delivered or um, other similar measures, to measure the performance of the teams and you are using that to compare the performance of different teams then I think that there's a problem there next question to ask my final one is does the team depend on other teams to get stuff done so 
I was listening to a really interesting podcast a while ago and they were talking about Amazon and they said that what they try to do more than anything really is to break these dependencies and it's something that I've realised that I've spent a lot of my career trying to do is break dependencies down so that you've got fewer opportunities for you know, something to stop something else from happening and this is the great thing about agile and great thing about doing things in small chunks you know one two weeks is that that small thing can't depend on eight other things to get done because clearly that's never going to happen that small thing will only get started when it can be finished within that time scale and in order to do that often you have to break dependencies so I think some key questions to follow up on that is in software development, you've got the development pipeline. So there's a load of tools that pull together all the effort of the team, build the, um, a version of the software, run tests against that, and then it flows through various different stages. And you know, for really advanced teams, that might end up in a new version going live. The team should ideally own that pipeline and if anything goes wrong with it, they should have the ability and the, the kind of level of control to fix it. If they haven't, it's not a deal breaker for me, but it's certainly something that I'd be looking at um, because there's nothing more frustrating when a, a developer said, right, I've got this feature finished, I just need to push it through, but I need X person to you know, set a new, a special new variable so that this will work in this environment. And you then having to raise a help desk ticket, which takes days to get done because it's not a production issue. That is a real kind of motivation killer. So if the team can do all of that itself, then more, all the better. Next one is, um, does the team depend on components developed or maintained by other teams? I've been around software development and architecture for a long time. And when microservices architecture came along, it took me a long time to be convinced by it. But I think this issue is the issue that finally convinced me that uh, microservices architecture is um, you know, really important for agile development. So let me explain. In a microservice architecture, what you do is you develop your code in little runnable modules. Um, and each thing that you develop has got a very, very specific and small purpose. It only does one thing, ideally. And the advantages of that is that you, if it's only doing one small thing, you can develop it really quickly. The modern cloud architectures allow you to uh, get it out there and get it working to deploy it really quickly. And importantly, when you need to change it, if it's not suitable, you may just decide to throw it away and do it again from scratch because it's not that much work. You're also not depending on other people. Uh, you're not saying, well, I have to get somebody else to change their module 
so that it provides me with the information that I need for my new feature and then it gets in a pipeline of their priorities. So uh, microservices architecture um, allows teams to bypass all of that and the kind of code reuse that's always been this nirvana you know if this team develops this component and then all the other teams will use that component and will save a lot of time and money is never really borne fruit and i think that microservices architecture has come out of a realization that that guess about this is the sensible way to develop software has turned out to be wrong Next question, release management. So does the team depend on any kind of release management bureaucracy? Now, this is not like a, a thing that would definitely stop me working places. I have worked at places where, you know, release management is needed and necessary, primarily because you know, you've got a whole load of users of a system. They use professional users that might need to be retrained when you put out a new version of the system. But I would look hard at it because, you know, ideally what you want to be doing is you want to be putting out new features as soon as it's ready. If uh, the development team has developed a feature and then they can't release it for months, that causes a lot of kind of overhead the gears start to grind and complain um, and all of a sudden you're not able to develop rapidly so release management is not like a, a killer uh, in itself but it's something that I would look at uh, another area that I would look at is security uh, I think that back in the day, security was a real specialism that your average developer didn't know much about. But I think now, um, because in order to develop anything of significance, you have to get a good understanding of security because if you don't, you can't get it working at all. I think that most developers are pretty switched on. Certainly, past three or four years, I've found that in terms of security and what's necessary. I think that there is a role for specialist uh, security workers, but I would put those people kind of very much outside the tent. They should be doing things like ethical hacking. They should be, you know, testing the boundaries of the system. Um, rather than acting as a kind of um, bureaucratic gatekeeper for releases of software. So I think really to sum up, what I try to do when I'm looking to work with a new client is really to find out how much of the ability I'm going to have to help the team to improve, to help the team to deliver, because I've always found the easiest way to make people happier at work is for them to do something meaningful, to get it out there and to have people use it. Uh, teams that do that regularly and often are happy teams. I've been around for long enough to have a pretty clear idea how uh, to help a team to do that. I've done it in very challenging environments. I've turned around teams that are, you know, 
really, really struggling. And what I'm looking for is an environment which is going to support that ideally, but at the very least give me enough space to do the things that I need to do. So I'm looking for things that are telling me that the environment that I'm walking into is going to be, is that, are they going to be interested in that? Are they going to be interested in getting this team delivering? Or are they more interested in keeping things as they are? Have they got so much invested in the way things are now that they would rather see a team continue to struggle than make the changes that are needed to see them succeed? I hope that's been useful. I hope that gives you some food for thought. If you've got any ideas about that or if you've got any feedback, do you agree, do you disagree, have you got different questions that you ask, then I'd love to hear about them um, at all the usual places. So I'm sure if you've picked up this podcast, then you'll know how to get in touch with me and I'll speak again soon.